Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. You are now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here breaking down the NFL draft from a Patriots perspective with my good buddy Rich Hill. The good thing about being a Patriots fan is we're rational. We never fly off the handle. We step back, look at things logically, never let our emotions get in the way of our, our thoughts and our, our, our mindset towards Patriots football. And that's never more true than the NFL draft. Rich Hill, I'm not sure you've been going around the interwebs as of late. But everyone seems really cool and level-headed about the way the Patriots approach 2022 draft. So I'm looking forward to having a nice, <laughs> rational discussion with you today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you if you look at all of the draft grades, uh, I I don't think there's any other team so unanimously in agreement with the review. Uh, you know, every other team, some people might give them an A, some people might give them a C. But I think everyone's in full agreement with how they perceive this Patriots draft. Um Alec, I don't know what you were doing during the the draft, but in particular with the the first round. Um, but I was thrilled to see how the draft board played out. Uh, you know, the Patriots are originally going to pick 21st overall. The top, or you know, the number three corner in the draft, Trent McDuffie, was available. The best fit in my mind, Kyer Elam, was available. Another really good player. Uh, in Booth, Andrew Booth out of Clemson was available. Uh, defensive back, uh, you know, Dax Hill was available. Devin Lloyd, the top linebacker in the draft was falling. And then Nicobe Dean, the other top linebacker, uh, was falling, but that was due to an injury. Basically, all of the top players at the positions of need were there for the Patriots at 21st. Uh, and so when they traded down to 29th overall with Kansas City, and they picked up two more date, you know, a day, a round three and a round four pick. I was like, that's genius. That's really good team building. This is a deep draft that'll be really beneficial to the team. Uh, but when they made their pick at 29th overall, and it was offensive lineman Cole Strange out of UT Chattanooga, I was crushed. I was crushed with disappointment on that one, Alec. What was going through your head in the opening round? Well, as somebody who likes to make jokes, uh, I appreciate the name Strange. There's a lot of puns you can make. So from that perspective, I was like, all right, I can work with that in my fan notes. Gold, Alec, well, gold. Yeah, with comedy gold. Especially if he wears number 69 again. It's just, I'll have to restrain myself when that happens. But uh, from a, I guess just looking at it from a kind of objective perspective, the Patriots needed a guard. They needed to shore up the offensive line in the interior. And there are some good comparisons to Strange. He plays angry. He's very aggressive. He's kind of a team-first guy. A lot of Logan Mankins comparisons. So I like the upside of Strange. I think he's a good fit for the team. And he will be a day-one kind of plug-and-play starter, which is what you want to do with your, your first-round pick, kind of the 100% snap kind of guy. However, Rich Hill, 
The Patriots had a hole to fill at offensive line, particularly <laughs> a guard, because they traded their offensive line and guard away for peanuts for a fifth-round pick. They had their guard. They had Shaq Mason. They gave him away. And so, yeah, they plugged a hole. But they plugged a hole that they themselves dug, which makes me scratch my head even more about that Shaq Mason trade because I really thought that was one piece of several to fall here and it would be all addressed come this time. But I just don't get it. Not strangest fault. Like the pick uh, in a vacuum, but given that the Patriots had a guy they could have gone with and they moved elsewhere in the draft, it's just a little, a little weird to me. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, like, the way that... The, the only way the Shaq Mason trade could really be reasoned out is if they were going to get, you know, a relatively team, like more team friendly, high upside rookie to, to fill that role, uh, to provide cap space to bring in someone else. That, that was the argument made. Um, you know, Shaq Mason was still on an extremely team friendly deal. I think he was getting on average like seven million over the next two years. So like very team friendly as it goes with guards, like the top guards are getting double that. Um, and so for them to use their first round pick on it, it means that they, A, missed out on the opportunity cost. So missed out on all these other first round players to get another offensive guard. And the cap space itself is only five million, which you could get from half a dozen players on the team with just restructuring or moving their cap space to a later year. Like there, there's many other ways they could have created five million in cap space without having to trade Mason for almost nothing. And so, that was shocking to me. And like when the Patriots traded down from 21 to 29 and picked up some mid-round picks, I was like, yeah, they can use one of those mid-round picks on a guard because there are so many offensive guards and interior linemen that become elite all-pro caliber players on day two and even into the start of day three. There's many players that do that. That's in fact where most of them come from because the value just isn't there. Because you want to, on your rookie contracts, get a player who can far exceed the value of his contract. And by that, you want to get the players at those positions where they're getting 20 to 30 million a year for their level of play. So that way you can get, you know, an equivalent cap savings of 15 to 20 million when they're outperforming on their rookie contract. That's smart team building. Instead, Taking an interior offensive lineman where you're going to get a relative cap savings if they become a Pro Bowl caliber player of, you know, maybe five to ten million, you're missing out on a lot of free cap space by doing that. And also, if we're talking about uh, the comparisons with Logan Mankins, and I like, I don't disagree. I, I like Strange as a player. I think he has, you know, high upside. But if we're banking on this pick becoming a good one, if he has to play at the level of Logan Mankins, who is by most measures a fringe Hall of Fame player, that's not good betting. That's not good. I mean, we there's a lot of busts that come out of the first round, and even you know a lot of fine level play. If Cole Strange comes out and plays at an Isaiah Wynn level, and Isaiah Wynn is you know an average to slightly above average starter at tackle when he's available, and like that's not an unreasonable expectation for a first round interior lineman, uh, because there's this false sense of uh, you know protection against bust if you take an offensive lineman, but they bust just as much as other players. They do. I mean, the, again, the first round is lousy with busts at every level. You really have to look things at it as a draft as a whole. You get more misses than hits. Every team does. Just the reality of it. Again, it's just I feel like even if Cole Strange does play really well, if he's a cornerstone guard for years to come, there's really no way of justifying picking him as high as you did when you traded away your guy and they could have gotten him in the later rounds. My theory is they wanted to trade out of the first round altogether 
knowing this was a very deep draft. The, the top two guards were off the board. Maybe they thought they could get Ray, uh, Strange early day two. They're looking to trade out altogether. Couldn't get a trade partner, and 29 was as low as they could get for the Kansas City Chiefs, and so they just picked him because they were worried he wouldn't be there come day two when they picked in the middle of that first round. I think 54 was their, their first overall pick in the second round. So, look, I'm excited about him to be there. I just don't like the way it went down. Um, but again, I feel like I don't know if you watch the NFL network feed, but they were watching the draft go by and live. And every time a guy got selected, there'd be these highlights. They'd break it down. They'd show where he, he fits in, what his weaknesses are, what his strengths are. Patriots pick Cole Strange. There was a single picture of him up on the screen. A bunch. <laughs> they, they laughed and they moved right on because they had nothing to say, which I thought was, uh, was pretty amusing. That's our first round pick, Rich. If we go at this pace, we're never going to get through this podcast. So, Cole Strange, welcome to England. Uh, number two overall was an interesting pick for us. Uh, <laughs> Patriots traded up to get this guy versus trading back, and they took a receiver in the second round. Tyquan Thornton, wide receiver out of Baylor. Speedster, he's 6'2", very thin, 181 pounds. Uh, interesting pick here. There were some other receivers that the Patriots had on their, their draft board there and available, but they moved up in the draft to get this guy. Mm-hmm. Early thoughts on this one, Rich? Yeah, I mean, so Thornton was the 10th receiver picked. So that's, the, the according to the numbers, like one of the highest rate of wide receivers picked ever. You know, one in five picks in the <laughs> over the first 50 were wide receivers. And actually, there, there were uh, 13 wide receivers picked in the top 54. So that was a huge run. Patriots, if they wanted to get a wide receiver, they likely had to use their second round pick to get it. Um, when you look at Thornton in isolation, I see it. I mean, he, he's very spindly. He's six foot two, like 177 pounds or something like that. He's like 180. He's very thin. You watch him on tape and he looks that thin. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not a, a active blocker. He tries to go out there. He does like a reasonably okay job as a blocker. Um, definitely room for improvement, but he's willing, which is a huge trait. Um, so happy with that one. Um, but what really jumps out on tape is his four, two, eight, 40 yard dash speed uh, where he plays to that speed. You look at his burst off the line of scrimmage and he is quick and he is fast. Uh, He is able to just be explosive and get down the field really quickly. He has these long strides, but also has quick enough footwork where he can change direction. Uh, The one challenge with him comes, uh, or I guess maybe a couple challenges with him comes from just a lack of a developed route tree. He's coming from Baylor. They don't have a very developed offensive route tree. And so there's been a lot of challenges for, those wide receivers to transition into the NFL. So that's definitely uh, a bit of a challenge. So he has the athletic profile, but when you look at what other wide receivers have really thrived in New England, it's been those that have been polished route runners. And so that's definitely a question mark there. And the other one comes from just a questionable bit, uh, piece of production. Uh, he, he was the guy this year, um, but Baylor just kind of had a relatively limited offensive passing attack. And so uh, he is just a huge projection player. So that's my thought on him as an individual player. More macro, uh, another huge overdraft. He was a player that was ranked like 187th on the consensus board. So you look across all the different you know, publicly released scouting boards, so like including Daniel Jeremiah and other f- former NFL scouts. He was barely in the top 200 as it relates to wide receivers. He was consensus in the 20s at wide receiver. And so this was another big overdraft uh, as it relates to what people were expecting for him. 
He does have unicorn athletic traits, uh, and there were a lot of receivers coming off of the board. Uh, my my one thing comes with I think there were the immediate uh, three receivers that followed. So you have George Pickens out of Georgia, Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati, and Sky Moore out of Western Michigan were all three players that I would have picked over Thornton. Uh, and so my gut reaction. Uh, was only thinking of that Nikhil Harry pick where I really wish the Patriots had picked Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown. I have the receipts on that one. Those were two players that were obvious fits for New England. Uh, I think Pierce was an obvious fit for New England in the exact same role that I imagined Thornton to fill. And then Sky Moore was my draft binky. He was my Debo Samuel in the obviously he would be a good fit in this offense. And so I will be watching the career of Pierce and Moore very closely uh, as it relates to Thornton because I just felt like those players were much better fits for what New England likes to do. Rich, at this early stage, do you see Thornton as uh, a 2022 contributor or as a fringe receiver in 2022 with plans to make him more involved next year? Yeah, I, I, definitely the latter. I, I think that he'll fill a similar role as Nelson Aguilar. Uh, basically, what the Patriots like to do is have a speedster on the outside that just draws coverage down the field. And Thornton can do that. He can fly. He can run all day. He has that sort of uh, endurance. So he can fill that role. Uh the challenge comes from how complex of a route runner can he be? You know, is he just going to be a one trick pony or can he provide a little bit more? You know, thinking of like what Chris Hogan was able to do for the Patriots, he ran like four routes, really. Like that's all he really had to do. Uh, but he could do like that comeback route well. And, you know, every so often he could do the comeback route or the go and he could do it. I did not see on tape of Thornton enough of that uh, diverse route tree. Uh, to make me think he could contribute right now. And so I think Aguilar is definitely better at this point in time at filling that role. Uh, but Aguilar is a free agent after this year. So this was definitely a pick in my mind with 2023 in focus. Um, and also, I, I, to me, this shows that I think Bill Belichick will try and open up the playbook a little bit more for Mac Jones and give him more opportunities to throw down the field. So if anything, I'm just excited about that. Speaking of Jones, Rich Hill, we got a pair of Joneses oh, yeah. in round three and four to go with Jonathan Jones and Mac Jones. There are a lot of Joneses <laughs> on the Patriots right now. The Patriots went with Marcus Jones, cornerback out of Houston at number 85 overall, and then they pick another quarter cornerback at 121, Jack Jones out of Arizona State. A little shorter, a little more undersized, but very quick, good hips. Uh, these are pretty more prototypical Patriots picks, and I think probably of all the draft picks the Patriots made, Marcus Jones is probably my favorite. Oh, I, I agree with you on that one. Jones picked in the right spot, All-American. Uh, I named the Paul Hornig player of the year in college football as the most versatile player. Uh, all-star kick returner, punt returner. Uh, played a few snaps on offense. I think he had 12 offensive touches. So he does it all. He fits wherever is needed. Uh, and, and I think that the Patriots will find opportunities to get the ball in his hand, especially as a returner. And with Gunnar Olszewski leaving, uh, they needed a replacement there. Jones is that guy. And I, I don't think that he's a Cyrus Jones-esque type player. Uh, I, I think Jones comes from the same tree as, you know, Devin McCourty and the other Rutgers players. You look at who's coaching him. Uh, you have a mix of a former Alabama guy, but you also have a former defensive back out of Rutgers who played alongside and graduated with Steve Belichick. Uh, so they, they have the, the right pedigree and experience. They have the right insight that this is going to be the right guy. I think Jones, of all the players, it has a very direct path into that lineup. 
I think Jalen Mills and Malcolm Butler will be the starters, uh, but Marcus Jones will be able to compete with Jonathan Jones for that starting slot role. Uh, and also, uh, you know, Joan, Jonathan Jones is a free agent after this season. And so I, I think that Marcus Jones could also be, you know, the future of that position. Um, but at the very least, he can contribute on special teams on day one and be, in my mind, likely a, a top four corner by halfway in the season. I think so as well. The cornerback position is gets locked in at the very top of it, but those slot corners are really important for the Patriots, especially this year where Tyree Kill was in the division. So cornerbacks, especially smaller, more mobile quarter, cornerbacks, are going to be a really important important part of that that defense. Uh, Jack Jones, which show really quickly, he had kind of a, an up and down career, absolute beast in high school. Then he went to USC, but he didn't make it academically. And then he went to junior college, Arizona State. He was a little, a, a much more of a kind of later round pick. The Patriots draft brought him in for a couple of pre-draft visits, so he was on their draft board. Would you call this one a reach too, or think it's a fair pick at, at round four? It's a bit of a reach. So, in the sense that uh, he's going to be 25 by the end of this year. This is an older player. He never really stood out. I mean, he he like contributed as a, as an early freshman and sophomore at USC, which is like. Great. That's like a good indication. Um, but for him to go to Arizona State, which, you know, is fine. Patriots seem to love that Herm Edwards team. Uh, but for him to play well, uh, he covered the opposing team's top receiver. He played well, but also like wasn't universally dominant. And for him to be this age and not to be so dominant, it's a little question mark here um he's going to be like 29 at the end of his rookie contract which is very old uh so i think in the fourth round whatever uh the, these are picks where uh, you if you can get a rotational contributor in the fourth round you're doing it well you're, you're doing it fine i think he has a path also to the lineup next year or in two years uh you know malcolm butler's on a two-year deal if jack jones can take over uh, I think that the team could view him as that J.C. Jackson-esque high upside player who showed flashes where then it kind of fell apart. Uh, you know, he had his off the field issues um, where uh, he was arrested for breaking into a Panda Express. Uh, and then he had, I believe, an academic suspension. But like he has the physical talent and like those are not issues that I'm like overly concerned with. Uh, and, and so I think if with the right coaching uh, and right the right development, I wouldn't be surprised if he followed a similar path as, you know, the Malcolm Butlers and J.C. Jacksons before him. We will soon see. There was no second-round DB taken this year, so maybe two fourth-round DBs means you divide by two, and one of these two is going to flame out and be that <laughs> sacrifice that keeps the Patriots successful. Maybe Jack Jones is taking one for the team here. Uh, there's one more fourth-round pick I want to talk about, but I'm going to skip the other one because they're both running backs in round six. We had the fourth-rounder. Pierre Strong Jr. out of South Dakota State, at number 127 overall. And the Patriots did not have a, six, a fifth round pick. They picked round six. Kevin Harris, another Harris in the running back room in South Carolina. I was a little surprised the Patriots, not they took a running back, but they took one in the fourth round, then again in the sixth. They seem pretty well set at running back with James White, Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris. J.J. Taylor is a, a fringy guy. Uh, a little shocked they brought two more guys in, but. I guess you can never have too many running backs because if you're going to be a run-first team, guys get hurt, you keep fresh legs for the playoffs and whatnot. But still, 
a little odd to me. Yeah, I get that. And I, I think when it comes to running backs, the Patriots always like to have, you know, a red shirt guy, you know, one player a year ahead, uh, especially at that third down back position. J.J. Taylor is likely going to fill in that role a little bit if James White's unable to go. Uh, but I, I could see Pierre Strong having that a little bit. Um, but Pierre Strong loved the pick, loved the pick. I think he was a top three running back in the draft for me. Uh, he is a just dominant athlete, four three seven speed. It shows up on tape, huge breakaway. He was a first team all conference three years in a row. Uh, and before that was the freshman of the year of the conference, uh, conference all or uh, league all American, uh, had you know, 1,600 rushing yards, 18 touchdowns. Most importantly, four passes for four touchdowns. So you got some versatility in the backfield. I think that he's a good complement to Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, especially in the future where I think he can provide the flash to Ramondre Stevenson's pound a little bit. Uh, and I think that that backfield will be set for years to come. Uh, and and the, my thought around the sixth-round pick of Kevin Harris is that it doesn't really matter. The Patriots utilize the sixth and seventh round as a way to get dibs on their preferred free agents. That's always been the case. That's always been how Bill Belichick approaches it. They really stop drafting uh, their like actual draftable players in the first uh, after the first five rounds. Round six and seven, they are just coin flips to make the roster, and so. Uh, I wouldn't view Kevin Harris as being like, a, oh, the Patriots drafted two running backs. I would think it's more of like, okay, Harris is a camp body. Strong's going to make the roster. And Harris, uh, I was looking at the numbers. He's one of just a few running backs to dominate in the SEC in the way that he did uh, a couple years ago in 2020. Uh, Harris has gone through a few surgeries, and so the Patriots are hoping that he can reclaim some of that. But he's up there with the Mark Ingrams, the Eddie Lacys, uh, the, the Derrick Henrys of the world with how he was able to produce in the SEC uh, with his single season dominance of both being an efficient runner with six plus yards per carry scoring with 15 plus touchdowns and getting over a thousand yards on the ground. Uh, he's in exceptional company. And so if he's able to reclaim it, sure. Why not? Uh, I, I just don't think that Harris is anything more than just a practice squad body at best at this point. You also have to wonder how many reps he'll get with a very crowded running back room. Yeah, again, like like you said, six through seven and draft drafted guys, you never really know. Uh, I want to talk about the other sixth and seventh round picks that we got, Rich Hill, but there's one that I'd love to get your thoughts on. Interesting pick, to say the least. Uh, Bailey Zappi, quarterback out of Western Kentucky, was the number 30, 137 overall, one of three fourth-round picks the Patriots took. And it's not necessarily Zappi as a kind of bad player. He was one of the – kind of quarterbacks I was discussed about the draft, but do you feel it was a little high for a back quarterback given that Mac Jones seemed poised to be hopefully knock on wood, the quarterback for the next 10 plus years for this franchise that he's going to be holding a clipboard. Maybe this speaks to the end of the Brian Hoyer era in new England. Jared Stidham is clearly getting the door after this off season. Maybe they find a very, very late trade partner for him for a seventh rounder in 2027 or something like that. But <laughs> do you see Zappi as like the backup going forward? What do you think they, they brought Zappi in for? Yeah, I think Zappi is that long-term replacement for Brian Hoyer as that backup spot. I mean, obviously, like, it would have been nice to pick another player in the fourth round that, like, could contribute on the field. Um, but again, like, that's fine. You never want to be caught without a good backup quarterback. Uh, Hoyer is 36 years old. I, I know he just signed a two-year contract. So, like, I would expect him to be here next year and then for Zappi and Hoyer to have more of a competition next year to be that top backup. Um, but I like Zappi. I mean, like, you have a chance to draft any player that sets NCAA, like, 
forever records, like all-time records. He has the most touchdown passes in a single season. It's worth a flyer. Why not? Like, I know that they, they like, really forced it sometimes, but he still produced. He broke, like, all of Joe Burrow's records. So I think he's worth a shot. I was a little surprised that Zappi went before Sam Howell, but in general, uh, he was the, the fifth quarterback off the board. I had him as the sixth one. So not a huge reach uh, as it relates to what he can do. Uh, would have been, you know, the ideal time to take an interior lineman if they didn't take one in the first round. <laughs> uh, but in general, like, I don't mind it. Uh, I, I expect there to be some sort of a package of Jarrett Stidham, Nikhil Harry, and Jawan Williams going to Nick Casario in Houston at some point. Uh, and they can, you know, do one giant package for a future conditional seventh if any of them make it. Because uh, none of them are going to make this roster at, at this point in time. And so Casario is likely their best lifeboat. Um, as it relates to having someone who liked them to draft them. And I, I think Zappi will definitely be that number three quarterback this year. Fourth round picks are roster locks, so he's going to be on the roster uh, unless something drastic happens. Uh, and so I, I think that he is not meant to be a challenge for Mac Jones or anything like that. But, you know, you never want to be caught with if Mac Jones goes down. You want to make sure you have a capable backup. And with that, that is, in my opinion, the players who are more or less locks to make the roster, as you mentioned. There's some six-rounders, seventh-rounders I'd love to talk to you about, as well as a pretty big slew of undrafted free agents the Patriots signed. I'd love to get your thoughts on, too, Rich Hill, as well as who they didn't draft. First, quick break. We'll be right back. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight, we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, we are back. Round five saw no picks from the Patriots, but then in round six, we already talked about Kevin Harris, Rich Hill. They also brought in defensive tackle Sam Roberts out of Northwest Missouri State. They brought in another guard, uh, Jason Hines, out of LSU. And then number 245 overall, Andrew Stuber, OT out of Michigan. They also had a pretty robust undrafted free agency class to go after a year where they signed very few free agents. They brought in Derek King out of Miami, probably the biggest notable name on the list. Brandon Schooler, a safety out of Texas. Cody Russi, offensive line from Houston. LeBron Ray, defensive lineman, Alabama. Jake Julian, punter from Eastern Michigan. Demarcus Mitchell, defensive end from Purdue, Liam Shanahan, offensive line from LSU, and son of Andre Tippett, Hall of Famer, Patriots Hall of Famer, Kobe Tippett, which I thought was kind of cool. He's a safety punt returner from URI, if I remember correctly. Kind of cool to see that Patriots connection. Of all these guys, Rich Hill, there's some practice squatters, there's some surprise camp standouts, there's that training camp that comes in every year, blows us all away, and then vanishes when the regular season starts. 
What are your overall thoughts on the last part of the draft and these free agents that they, they signed in? Yeah, I like it. I mean, I, I, th- I already gave my thoughts on Kevin Harris. I think Sam Roberts, he was the defensive player of the year in D2, I believe. He, he won the same defensive player of the year award as Kyle Duggar did at Lenore Ryan. And so uh, worth a shot. I mean, he, he brings a big body on the interior. He was extremely disruptive. And so I, I think he's a direct competition for, like, the Byron Cowarts of the roster. Uh, and like, if he makes the roster, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, I, I think that he has the ability. I think it's more of a, it's worth a flyer with him. Uh, and that's why they used a sixth on him. Chase and Hines, Andrew Stuber. I think Stuber likely has a better path to the actual roster. Um, I think Hines has some upside as well, but I, I could see him being on the practice squad. Stuber is, you know, six, seven, 330 pounds, right tackle out of Michigan. I think that he makes a lot of sense to be that backup on that right side behind Trent Brown, knowing that Brown, A, does miss time, uh, and B, isn't going to be around in the long term, and so Stuber could you know, continue to develop there. He can have some familiarity playing next to Michael Nwenu, who is likely going to slot in at that right guard spot, you know, fellow Michigan guy. So I like Stuber. Uh, of, of those later picks, I think Roberts and Stuber have a relatively fine chance of making the roster. Um, but thinking of those undrafted players, I think Ray out of Alabama, uh, you know, six foot five, two hundred and eighty-five pounds, he has some ability uh, on the interior. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and and then Devin Hafford out of Tarleton State, uh, definitely a lot older, uh, but he played a lot, uh, had a lot of uh, production this past year, uh, and so he he could have an opportunity to be that surprise defensive back. Um, but Patriots definitely made a choice this year to draft a lot of older players uh, coming out of the COVID extended year. A lot of people are given an extra year of eligibility. So players like Jack Jones and Devin Hafford are old uh, straight up. Um, but I, I would say if I had to choose one player that I would love to watch, it's going to be Derek King, the undrafted free agent. Uh, quarterback out of Miami, played at, uh, I believe it was Houston beforehand. Um, it, but he is just an overall athlete runs well played some receiver uh I, I just want to know where they play him because he was such a dynamic player in college before he suffered a few injuries so who knows how much is actually left there but i, I think that he deserves every chance in the world this always is the most fun part of my opinion though there's always certain expectations that go with your first round picks your fourth round picks guys that can impact the team right away do some good things so when they impress they're kind of meeting expectations but there's always these players like your kings like your Brendan Schoolers, whoever, that just make the most out of the reps they get. They come in, they become fan favorites, and you get your next Jacoby Myers, all of these guys. So I always really enjoy watching these younger guys and these undrafted guys, these lesser heard of guys, make their mark on the team. So hopefully they'll all do well. And I am rooting very, very hard for Kobe Tippett, just because Andre Tippett is one of my all-time favorite players in NFL history. Uh, Rich Hill, we talked about the draft, who they picked, who they selected, and what their plans are going forward. Let's talk about for a real quick moment as we close this podcast out who they did not select or what they did not select. You and I, when we broke down our pre-draft podcast, we talked about the need for a complimentary edge rusher next to Matthew Judon. Their linebacker core is very, very thin right now. Dante Hightower still hasn't signed. They have very few players that are true off-the-ball linebackers to complement that 3-4-4-3 defense, whatever the case may be. The Patriots did none of this in the draft. They did not draft a single linebacker. There's no real edge pass rusher they brought in. Do you think there's going to be a trade coming? Do you think they're just very confident with the guys they brought out in last year? Is this the year Josh Uche makes that massive jump? Are the guys coming off the injury expected to make a massive improvement to the team? They're going to bring a guy in. What do you think they're doing here? Or 
are we finally running, lending credence to the Rich Hill theory that it's going to get rid of linebackers altogether in 2022 <laughs> and just play with those big Kyle Duggar, Jabril Peppers, AJ Phillips safety guys? What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a sense that, like, you have to let the young kids have an opportunity to play. Like, Jennings, Uche, uh, and, you know, McGrone doesn't really count because he had a redshirt year, but, like, they all need a chance to see the field. And behind Hightower and Van Noy, like, A, is it an issue that they haven't been able to beat them out for the winning, for the starting jobs? Or B, like, do they just need to have the opportunity and they can thrive? Um, but I, I think that there's just so many question marks. We know what we have with Bentley, but we also know that he kind of struggled as that number one linebacker during his, you know, first year as a starter or, you know, lead starter in 2020 during the COVID year. Um, and he was much better last year next to Dante Hightower. I imagine Hightower could still come back. I think he's mulling his decisions. I wouldn't be surprised if he came back to the Patriots. Um, and the Patriots are just waiting till post draft to, you know, let him sort through things. Um, and if Hightower comes back, I'll feel much better about this room. Uh, but at this point in time, it's Bentley and a bunch of question marks. Uh, as you said, they don't really have a lot of trust in Uche. McMillan and McGrone are coming off of injuries. So is Anthony Jennings. Uh, Mac Wilson is more of a special teams guy. So my gut, honestly, based off of the contract that they gave Jabril Peppers, based off of how they've used Adrian Phillips, I do think that my theory is not off base. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots went out there and trotted, uh, you know, Matthew Judon, who showed that he could be an almost every snap player, if they just trotted him out on the edge. And then they used three defensive linemen that, you know, you put Christian Barmore next to him, Devon at the three tech, Devon Godshaw at the one tech. Uh, and then you have Lawrence Guy as the five tech on the opposite side. You know, have like kind of a, a you know, a hybrid, you know, odd even front there. Then you have at that second level, Jawan Bentley, and then you have your two safeties that are also playing linebacker and Peppers and Phillips. You get that speed at that second level that the Patriots need in order to cover tight ends and running backs with two of those safeties playing outside linebacker. You get the thumper in the middle with Bentley. Uh, and also, you know, Phillips and uh, Peppers, they're like 215, 220 pounds. They're not small. Uh, and, and then you have some big bodies up front anyways with this big rotation of defensive tackles. You add in Ekuale, Carl Davis, Byron Cowart, Henry Anderson. I hope he doesn't make the roster, but you have Sam <laughs> Roberts. Like You have all of those players. You have what where the Patriots have invested is getting a lot of depth on this defensive tackle size, right? Like You look at where they've built their roster and where they haven't. They have almost no edge rushers, no straight-up edge rushers other than Matthew Judon and Dietrich Wise. And everyone else is kind of like a linebacker edge hybrid. Um, but they have a ton of, you know, big body defensive tackles. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that's how they built it. You know, have a much more stout defensive line and put your speed at that second level. That's how I think they'll do it. Uh, and, and, you know, they'll, they'll lean on the depth that they have in their secondary. Or maybe, just maybe, Rich Hill, this is the year that your guy, Harvey Lange, really gets that jump and becomes an absolute stud. You've been advocating for that guy, I think, since he got signed by the Patriots all the way back in 2017, whatever it was. <laughs> maybe this is finally the year that Harvey Lange gets the recognition he finally deserves finally. as an absolute stud linebacker. Uh, I don't think so. I will say this, Rich. I think one thing that all the Patriots, all the players the Patriots have brought in kind of have in common, reach, not reach, bust, not bust, they're all very athletic. They all play very hard, very angry, and they're all good team guys. I think that's kind of the, the core philosophy of, of this 2022 draft and free agency signing is a lot of athletic guys that, that play mean. 
And if they can sculpt their abilities and, and find a way to fit into that, 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 that dynamic, that Patriot way, so to speak, it's never a bad thing to have aggressive, mean, athletic guys on your team. And this could be the beginning of a, of a era in which just really good athletes and good football players went out over good position players. Or it could be yet another mediocre draft in what has been a pretty <laughs> unimpressive string of mediocre drafts the Patriots have had for some time now. Last year exempted. It's been a long time, Rich Hill, since the Patriots drafted players and like four of them became legit starters. So maybe it's either more of the same or maybe this is the year they finally break out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like that's the thing with the Patriots and when how we always say that, like, or not always, but unfortunately we've been saying, like, these players are overdrafted. No one was expecting them to go this round. Uh, if you look at their past few drafts, dating back to 2016, uh, last year when they took Mac Jones and Christian Barmore and, you know, even Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson, they had, that was the only year that the, you know, consensus board said they had a good draft. It's the only year that the Patriots draft aligned with what everyone else agreed was a talented draft. And wouldn't you know it, uh, dating back to 2016, uh, it was probably their only really good draft. <laughs> like, uh, this, this year they ranked 32nd. I believe a couple years ago they also ranked 32nd uh, in 2020. Um, they've had a bottom 10 draft, most of it, as it relates to how they map to you know pre-draft perception and like you you I, that's where i have my issue as well you know we talk about the process and you know i think strange is a fine prospect in and of itself but the process of why the patriots needed to draft a guard in the first place is problematic it was bad team building and it's okay to say that and when you have a team that comes into the draft and they're overconfident in their ability to draft which for the record, goes against everything that we've known about the Patriots with how they've approached the draft historically is that they've never approached it or they had never approached it with a sense of overconfidence that they know better than the consensus. The reason in that, like the approach that the Patriots had to the draft that was always so successful was that they don't know better, that the only way to beat the draft is by getting as many picks as possible because it's a coin flip. You know, some coins are better to flip than others, uh, but in general, you don't know who is going to, like, guarantee to be good, and so try to get as many bites as the apple as you can get. That's how they had historically approached the draft. And so, you know, it's better to get two late second-round picks than an early second-round pick because, you know what, odds are you're going to get, you know, <laughs> with one-player bus, you, you'll have better odds with two players. And... That seems to not be how they've been approaching it as of late uh, by, you know, reaching for players that, you know, perhaps not everyone else has viewed as being good. And that's how you get drafts like 2017, where you have no contributors. You have drafts like 2018, where uh, Isaiah Wynn and Juwan Bentley are your two main contributors. And like, obviously, love Sonny Michelle. He was a huge contributor to the Super Bowl, but they traded him for a reason. And, you know, you lose out on Duke Dawson, 2019, Nikhil Harry, Juwan Williams, Chase Winovich, Yoni Cahuste, like, Hialte Froholt, Jarrett Stidham. If Damian Harris, if your running back is the only contributor that you get, then, like, that's a bad draft. And that's just been the case over and over again. I love Kyle Duggar, but they haven't found a role for Uche. Anthony Jennings hasn't found a role either. Asiasi and Keane are not likely to make the, you know, be a real contributor behind these two tight ends. And so... The problem with the Patriots right now is not that Belichick has lost it or anything like that. He still like has the process everywhere else correct. He knows where to zig, where the other teams are zagging. He knows 
you know, where the inefficiencies are and how to take advantage of them. The one issue that they are having right now is that they are drafting the wrong players and they are overdrafting players. And, uh, you know, even how they navigate the draft board is fine. They did a great job navigating the draft board in my mind. Uh, it's just that what was the end result was a player that was not viewed as being worth at that point, uh, that level of a pick. And historically what we've seen is that the consensus board is on average better, uh, than what a lot of other people's have, you know, just the wisdom of crowds. Well, Rich, we will soon see. Even though it is early May, OTAs begin later on this month, May 23rd. There'll be see some guys reporting in for off-season workouts. Then I think uh, in early June and then mid-June, then they break for two weeks. And it's back to regular minicamp, which is pretty crazy. We are almost at the official start of the kind of preseason training camp era where all these draft picks will get a chance to prove themselves. For what it's worth, the Patriots are 0-0. Zero zero. A lot of reason for optimism. Yes, they dug themselves a hole, but maybe they dug themselves out of it. And um, as things come in, maybe there's some more signings, but I'm looking forward to watching these guys develop. And uh, we'll be back on Pat's podcast should things progress one way or another. But hopefully, Rich Hill, the next time you and I get together, uh, I wouldn't say this is a pessimistic conversation we have, but maybe yeah. it's one that just we kind of just tempered and reset expectations. Yeah, totally. I'd love to see some Taekwon Thornton highlights uh, because, uh, you know, now I'm changing positions. You know, I, I have my problem with the draft or anything like that, but I am rooting for nothing but success for all of these players. And so uh, let's hope that the team puts them in a position to succeed and that these players take advantage of it. Absolutely, man. So uh, hopefully you have a good couple of times. And next time we see each other, uh, I don't know when it's going to be, Rich, honestly, but we'll keep our ear to the ground on all things Patriots, and we'll come back and break it all down with our, again, rational, objective, completely emotion-free genius next time. <laughs> all right. Well, until next time, Alec, you have a good one. You too, buddy. See ya. Bye. Bye.